Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Luke 17. Let's start by memorizing a Bible verse together. Remember Lot's wife. Say it with me. Remember Lot's wife. Congratulations. You just memorized Luke 17, 32. That's the whole verse. Remember Lot's wife. Yet these are three very powerful and poignant words that Jesus teaches here in Luke 17. Now, Luke 15 had a very clear theme with the three parables uh, on the joy of heaven over repentant sinners. Uh, Luke 16 had a clear theme about money. Luke 17 is going to have all kinds of various instruction for followers of Jesus. And I think it really reaches a crescendo with those three powerful words, remember Lot's wife there at the end of the chapter. But before we get there, let's start, well, at the beginning of Luke chapter 17. In the first 10 verses, we see several uh, different lessons that are given to the followers of Christ. Uh, It says that he said to his disciples. And so we see several warnings there. The first is a warning against those who bring temptations. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Man, that should probably make us think more seriously about sin than we do. Um, And to think, man, if my actions, if even just being careless could lead someone else to laugh at something they shouldn't, or uh, to think a lustful thought, or to give in to the temptation to drunkenness, or, or something like that. If my thoughtlessness could do that to someone else, I need to be careful. Jesus uses very strong words. A millstone is a very heavy thing. Uh, being Imagine that being hung around your neck and cast into the sea. And he says that that's better than causing someone else to sin. Uh, now, those are words sometimes we want to brush off, I think, with, well, I'm not responsible for someone else's sin. And that's where, well, let's, let's pause and let's look. And yes, you are not responsible for every choice that someone else makes. But there are things that we can do, as it says, to, to bring temptation into somebody else's life. And Jesus strongly tells us to avoid that. And in verse three, it says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Um, And so there, that's an interesting verse right there, um, because you see kind of uh, two things basically that I think a lot of people don't want to do. Uh, On the one hand, uh, some people, they don't want to rebuke someone else. They would rather just avoid the subject. But also, on the other hand, a lot of people don't want to forgive either. But as Christians, God calls us to do both. If we see a brother in sin, we are called to rebuke him. Uh, But when they confess, we are called to forgive. And it goes on to say, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So there it even speaks of uh, repetitive forgiveness, even for repetitive 
offenses. And so you see there just in those two verses how truth and grace need to dominate the followers of Christ. So even if you think about uh, your church, well, there needs to be truth there, but there also needs to be grace and a willingness to forgive others, even when they uh, commit the same offenses. Uh, And so you see here, Jesus teaching his disciples things that are still relevant today in the church. And then the apostles asked the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Um, And that's where we've been looking at verses like this now in so many books of uh, the Gospels here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so far we've looked at. And in all three of them, we have seen this same idea. And we've talked about how verses like this have been twisted by false teachers to make God some cosmic genie or vending machine, right? God's the vending machine and faith is the change that you put in, right? And you usually express that faith in in giving money to some ministry or whatever, and then poof, God's going to do amazing things. That is an abuse of God's word. But sometimes the problem that we make is we're better at telling you what this verse doesn't mean than what it does. Because no, this verse does not mean what the prosperity TV preachers flying around in their private jets tell you it means. But it does mean what Jesus says that it means. What is that? And that's where one thing we've tried to bring up as we go through verses like this is, well, what is faith? And biblically, what is the whole Bible teach us about faith? And ultimately, we see faith is about the object of our faith. And so our faith is ultimately in God, in his character, in his promises, and in his word. So the point is not, hey, what are you feeling today? We'll have enough faith and speak it into existence. No, believe God, his character, his word, and his promises, and have faith in those things. So uh, you want to exercise this kind of faith? Don't get to know your feelings, get to know the Bible, get to know your God. And that's where you will see this kind of faith flourish when it is anchored in God, his character, his promises, and his word. And then we see this little section in verses seven through 10, where it talks about servants. Basically, a servant shouldn't expect some extreme reward for doing their job. Um, he's saying, you're not going to go in and find your servant working and say, Hey, come in and and recline at me. You're going to say, Hey, prepare dinner for me because he's the servant and you are the master. And so in verse 10, it says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And that's where I think many of us, what we can have moments where we really want a pat on the back. And frankly, sometimes we want to pat ourselves on the back, or maybe even we're so busy patting ourselves on the back that we wish someone else would notice and pat us on the back too. When Jesus is saying that's probably not how we should think. Even when we do feel like, man, I am serving the Lord. I'm working hard. I'm trying to be faithful. We should still have the mindset, you know what? I'm just an unworthy servant. I've only done what was my duty. And I think that's where it's helpful to look at the example of Jesus and say, he still did way more than I did. 
I'm, I'm just following him. I'm just doing what he has called me to do. And I think these words can be a helpful corrective sometimes when we start to maybe think of ourselves and our role as bigger than we should. And then we see the story of Jesus cleansing the 10 lepers. And this one is famous for the fact that he cleanses 10 lepers, but only one of them and a Samaritan at that comes back uh, to thank Jesus. Um, And Jesus says in verse 17, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So some obvious things from that parable. One is it's a good thing to say thank you. Uh, And first and foremost, for us, we should think about saying thank you to God. Every good thing in our lives comes from God. We should be thankful to God. And here you'll also see, I believe, the link between thanks and faith. Jesus says this man, your faith has made you well. True faith will result in thanksgiving. So do you have anything to thank God for today? Don't forget, even now, push pause. Thank God for the ways that he has blessed you. Uh, Now we get into a an amazing section towards the end of the chapter talking about the kingdom. And you see a couple different uh, layers to this. Uh, It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And that's where I think Jesus is pointing to, hey, the kingdom of God has arrived with me, the king, Uh, the kingdom of God is here. And even now, I would say on some form, the kingdom of God is in this world through the people of Christ. But then in verse 22, it's talking about, well, there's future days. The kingdom is here and came through the person of Christ and now is here through the church. But the days are coming when Jesus Christ will return and he will reign on this earth. And that is what verses 22 through the end of the chapter get more towards that, I believe, still to be future Uh, coming of Christ to this world to fully establish his kingdom in the world. And what we see in the midst of all that, it talks about a judgment that will happen uh, towards the end of, of this age and coming with the coming of the son of man. And, and it says, um, on that day, let the one who is in the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away and let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. So there it's, it's saying that in the specific context of thinking through this future eschatological time. But then verse 33 says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Now that language here is used in uh, kind of a, a future time, but that phrase is one that we've seen Jesus use to describe the call of discipleship. So even in these verses, while we see something that has specific applications to uh, the people alive in this eschatological moment, I think these words also every Christian should be able to look at and say that I need to think about that too. I need to remember Lot's wife. I need to remember that even if I'm not alive at the time, this is describing if I seek to preserve my life, I'm going to lose it. But if I seek to lose my life, I will keep it. And that's where we remember Lot's wife. You know the story of Lot's wife. They're escaping the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And 
Lot's wife looks back and she is turned into a pillar of salt. Well, judgment is coming yet again someday on the world. And that's where we need to be careful. Because even if if that's not something that involves us at some future time, we still need to realize we're living in a sinful world and we can't let that world get anchors into our heart. Or we will end up like Lot's wife and end up looking back. Uh, One thing you can do in conjunction with the reading today is just go to Google and and punch in Remember Lot's Wife, J.C. Ryle, and you can read a very short sermon or devotional from J.C. Ryle on this subject. And and those words should be a shock to your system because we need to not look back at the world. God has called us out to follow Jesus Christ. We should not catch ourselves looking back at, at sin, looking back at the, at the world. And I want you to search your own heart. Are there ways you find yourself looking back, looking with longing at something in the world, whether that's the materialism of the world or the sexual immorality of the world or uh, popularity in the world? Don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. And so think of that even in your own life today. It is not about making yourself at home in this world. This world is headed towards judgment. Pursue Christ. No looking back. Remember Lot's wife. Those are words all of us need to think about today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.